0: By 1927, Howard Phillips Lovecraft was arguably already a master of weird tales, though he wasn't yet appreciated at the time. His life had been difficult up to that point and things were not about to become any easier. Lovecraft was living an extremely conservative life, spending inheritance money and scraping by only because of the weekly allowances that his wife, living in a different state altogether, would send him. He struggled to find any dignity in himself and often felt humiliated by the life he was leading but he never stopped writing and was therefore amassing an incredible body of work he had already written the call of cthulhu the year before though it wouldn't come out until 1928 and wouldn't reach the legendary status it now holds until decades later in 1927 however unaware of his future lovecraft would write and publish the first of his stories that would truly blend science fiction and horror. You're listening to House of Words, a podcast about writers, authors, and the weird. I am your host, Jason Amour Hardin, and today we're digging into the life of Howard Phillips Lovecraft, his trials and tribulation, and the year 1927. Quote, life is a hideous thing, and from the background behind what we know of it, pure demoniacal hints of truth which make it sometimes a thousandfold more hideous. End quote. Howard Philip Lovecraft was born as the only child of Winfield Scott Lovecraft and Sarah Susan Lovecraft, known generally as Susie, on August 20, 1890, in Providence, Rhode Island. Even early in his life, Lovecraft would learn about the darkness that life has to offer. When he was a mere two years old, his father, Winfield, was committed to the Butler Hospital in Providence after suffering a psychotic episode in a Chicago hotel. Winfield would spend the next five years, which would also be the last five years of his life, in Butler Hospital, where he would die in 1898, when Howard was but eight years old. Though his father's death certificate states that he died of symptoms usually found in late-stage syphilis patients, Howard would maintain throughout his life that his father died due to insomnia and being overworked. Whether he never learned the truth about the faith of his father, or he was intentionally misled in order to save his father's reputation and his son's feelings, is not known. After Winfield's death, the family, now consisting of only Howard and his mother Susie, remained in the grandiose family home along with his maternal aunt and his maternal grandparents. But things were far from well. His mother had been devastated by the death of her husband, and young Howard would bear witness of her deep grief. Also, most likely as a consequence of said grief and anxiety, she wouldn't let her son out of her sight, making it difficult for him to make friends and learn how to socialize. And to make matters worse, she would dote and pamper him to a fault. Now, despite being socially weakened by the pampering from his mother, He was a bright young boy who had already mastered the craft of writing and reading by the tender age of three years old. At this young age, he would write and send letters addressed to his grandfather who was often traveling. It would also be the beginning of a passion that would amount to more than 100,000 written letters by the end of his life. It was clear early on that writing was in the cards for young Howard. With his own father gone, and, no siblings, his grandfather became his father figure. Grandpa encouraged his grandson towards an appreciation of literature, in particular classical and English literature, and also told him stories from an early age. These were stories he made up exclusively for his grandson, and which leaned towards the more unusual corners of fiction, and in particular the weird and macabre. From the age of four he would be introduced to winged horrors and deep, low moaning sounds coming from the darkness. The stories terrified and fascinated him in equal measure. Though he would later state that the inspiration for his weird tales probably came from classic gothic stories and authors such as Anne Radcliffe, Matthew Lewis, Charles Maturin, and his idol, Edgar Allan Poe, it is far more likely that the first seeds were planted by the stories from his grandfather. As he grew older, Howard would dare to venture down to the massive library his grandfather had in the cellar of the house with more frequency. By candlelight, the youngster would allow old fables and stories to shape his mind and encourage his imagination. At age five, he was told that Santa Claus did not exist, to which he retorted by asking, why was God not equally a myth such as Santa Claus, further establishing his rapid mental development? He was a very curious child, and by this time he was already enamored with Roman pantheon gods and was moving away from his Christian upbringing. This fascination with other gods would later lead him to create gods of his own. The dark clouds of mental illness and depression had been lurking in the background of his life ever since his father had been sent off to Butler Hospital. But even before his father's death in 1898, he would experience the first episode of what he referred to as gloom when his grandmother died in 1896. Though he wasn't particularly close with his grandmother, he fell into this state of gloom and would later comment that it was one which he would never fully recover from. The sight of his mother and his aunts wearing black mourning attire to the funeral terrified him to the point of giving him repeated and horrible nightmares—nightmares he would suffer from for much of his life and which he would incorporate into his stories. Lovecraft's earliest known literary works began when he was seven years old. These were poems restyling Odyssey by Homer, Although he would be in and out of elementary school, missing much time due to health concerns that aren't clear, his voracious appetite for reading and writing would instill in him discipline, knowledge, and a massive sense of creativity. Though school wasn't mandatory at the time, he would sometimes have home tutors that would help him make up for the time missed. One can speculate that these health concerns were a way for his mother to keep him home, and that way, keep an eye on him and keep her fears in check. The increasing mental instability that had been growing in her ever since her husband's death had left her with a deep fear of the world and losing her son, one she would transfer to her son, whether consciously or subliminally. Being inclined towards knowledge, Lovecraft became fascinated by chemistry in his preteen years. What would follow that was astronomy a subject that would open the door into the universe and take him by storm. He became captivated by how massive the universe was, and through that knowledge arose the realization of how insignificant humans are in the sense of the cosmos, revelations that would very much influence him and his future writings. Then in 1904 would come yet another blow, this one even more definite in shaping the mind of the teenage Lovecraft his grandfather suffered a massive stroke and would die a few months afterwards. With her father deceased and with little money left because of bad investments, his mother wasn't able to maintain the expensive family home, and she and her son were forced to move to a small duplex. The large library which had been such a refuge and solace for young Howard, a place he truly treasured, was now gone, and with it, his sense of safety and stability also faded. Both the Phillips and the Lovecraft lineage had been associated with wealth and dignity, making this step down the social ladder a much unwelcome reality. He would later refer to this period of his life as being one of his darkest, and that at one point he saw no point in living. The life that followed through the rest of his teenage years and into his early 20s were rife with nervous breakdowns, headaches, stress-induced breakdowns, and what he referred to as a general weakness. This assortment of ailments would get in the way when it came to applying himself to anything of any continuous form, except writing and astronomy, which still mesmerized him. His lack of knowledge within mathematics, however, hindered him in pursuing a career as an astronomer. Disappointed by this fact, as well as his lack of options, he left school in 1908, never to return. Between 1908 and 1913, he wrote poems, including those which would later be a stain on his legacy, namely the racially discriminatory poems such as New England Fallen and On the Creation of Niggers. It is clear that he was a product of his time, and this affected his views. However, this shouldn't excuse his views, and furthermore, his legacy should not ignore these character flaws. In the coming years, he began to slowly publish short stories in pulp magazines where he felt he had found a home and a possible career. Unaware of what he should have been demanding for his stories, magazines would pay him scraps compared to the quality and quantity of his work. However, regardless of being paid very little and working furiously to make ends meet, he fully immersed himself as a pulp writer, something that would last for decades. I am disillusioned enough to know that no man's opinion on any subject is worth a damn unless backed up with enough genuine information to make him really know what he's talking about. End quote. By the time 1927 came rolling in, Lovecraft had already written 46 short stories, many of which had been published. He had the beginnings of a novella in addition to having had begun on a novel. Married to Sonia Green, seven years his senior, the couple lived separate lives. She was in Cleveland, Ohio at the time while he was living in a single-room apartment on 169 Clinton Street in Brooklyn Heights, Brooklyn, New York. He despised living there, and the place definitely did not grow on him after he was mugged. Sonia was sending him small allowances which facilitated his survival, even though it was often on little more than one loaf of bread and a can of beans, in addition to some cheese every three days. Nevertheless, he suffered through it so he could continue to write and not take a menial job he considered beneath him. Viewing himself as a writer... He would not compromise easily, and knowing that he was not the most socially adept surely had something to do with it as well. Inspired by an anecdote his aunt had sent him two years prior, about a house at 140 Prospect Street, he would slowly begin to gather the elements needed for the story that would turn into his novel, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. A possible additional inspiration for the story would come from the novel The Return by Walter de la Mare. He read the book sometime in mid-1926 and would later write that it was a tale where, quote, we see the soul of a dead man reach out from its grave of two centuries and fasten itself on the flesh of the living. The novel, which would be Lovecraft's 50th piece, was written between January and March 1st of 1927 which is an impressive feat considering the 51,500 words it holds and how many times he would typically rewrite stories before deeming them fit enough for publication. Though he deemed it ready for publication, did not mean he was satisfied with it. In fact, he was greatly displeased with the novel, going as far as to call it a cumbrous, creaking bit of self-conscious antiquarianism. This dislike encouraged very little effort to get it published, and it would not be released until after his death. It is now included in the Library of America, which collects some of Lovecraft's work. Immediately following the case of Charles Dexter Ward, he began working on the color out of space, completing it in March of 1927. Now, if that isn't impressive enough, Lovecraft was also working on the final revisions of his horror fiction essay, Supernatural Horror and Literature, simultaneously. Seeking to create a truly alien life form for the color out of space, he drew inspiration from both fiction and non-fiction. He was disappointed by the all-too-human depictions of aliens in other pieces of fiction and had the goal of creating something that felt beyond the limits of what was generally conceivable. Further, he drew inspiration from a number of sources describing colors outside the spectrum of what's visible to humans. He had already used this concept in his 1920 story, From Beyond, and apparently liked it, and therefore saw more to explore enough so that he would use the concept once again. The piece would be widely regarded as one of Lovecraft's best, as well as being the first time he blended science fiction and horror, something which would become a trademark of his in the coming years. Also of note, it has been adapted to film several times, first as Die Monster Die in 1965, The Curse in 1987, Color from the Dark 2008, Farb 2010, and finally as Color Out of Space, created in 2019. The story was published in September of 1927 in the science fiction magazine Amazing Stories. He was paid the lousy sum of $25 for the piece, approximately $370 in relation to today's money. Given that he had to wait a substantial amount of time to even receive the payment, he never wrote for amazing stories again. After The Color Out of Space, he wrote the unfinished short story called The Descendant, which was published in the journal Leaves After His Death. Apparently still in his creative flow near the end of 1927, he focused on two projects. One was called The Very Old Folk, which he would start at the beginning of November, and History of the Necronomicon, which he began writing sometime in the autumn of that same year. The Very Old Folk was one of very few stories not named by Lovecraft himself. Rather, it was a name given by publishers after they found the story in a letter he had written to American fiction writer and editor Donald Wandre. The story is the recording of a dream where the protagonist is a military official in the countryside which is each year ravaged by terrible hill people who kidnap citizens and perform cruel rituals on Sabbath. History of the Necronomicon is a brief pseudo-history that is penned by a fictional character who dies by being eaten by invisible demons in front of a terrified crowd. The Necronomicon, also known as the Book of the Dead, A fictional grimoire, which is a textbook of magic, was first mentioned in Lovecraft's short story The Hound in 1924 and has since taken a life of its own. Other authors have cited the book in their works, and it has gone on to inspire a host of horror lore within movies. The notoriety the fictional grimoire has received is much attributed to the myth that it contains true accounts of magic and real spells if H.P. Lovecraft only knew how far his fictional accounts of the Book of the Dead have reached. Lovecraft never flat-out told us about his own writing habits, though based on the advice he provided others, as well as the great volume of work he succeeded in writing, we can conclude that he followed most of the advice he gave to others. He stated that usually he would begin a story based on mood or an idea or an image he wished to express, though he had once or twice written out of dreams. He was a strong believer in writing a synopsis of the plot first, before getting down to the story. He also recommended to the novice writer that it would often be wise to write the last paragraph of the story first, though always after the first synopsis was written. This recommendation was based on the fact that the ending of the story would have to be stronger than the beginning, rather than the other way around. In a simplified manner, his recommended way of constructing a story is as follows. First, you write a first synopsis or scenario of events. Describe with enough fullness to cover all vital points and motivate all incidents that are planned to occur. Secondly, you prepare a second synopsis this one based on the narration and not occurrences. This should be done with ample fullness and details and with notes to changing perspective, stresses, and climax. In this step, one can change the first synopsis if it will benefit the dramatic force or effectiveness of the story. Never be bound by the original synopsis, even if it means changing the tale altogether, as long as it results in a better final product thirdly write out the story rapidly and fluently and without too much critical thinking instead letting the story flow insert or delete complete sections if necessary or desirable on the fourth step you revise the whole text paying attention to vocabulary syntax and rhythm of prose the fifth step is to prepare a neatly typed copy not hesitating to add final revisions or touches to the tale where it seems appropriate to do so. And such, you have a complete story. By way of his letters and notes, we know that he was incredibly hard on himself and rarely, if ever, gave himself credit for having written a good story. He would berate his stories at length, especially in the early years of his writing, and would therefore also destroy many of his earlier works. Like many, he is his own worst critic, but it also encouraged him to produce what are arguably perfect pieces of writing within the genre of weird horror fiction. His love for words will most assuredly never be underestimated by any who have read his stories. He stated that the average student is limited by a narrow range of words, and when writing one should practice the use of unfamiliar words and use them generously. Though, By enlarging the vocabulary, one should always be aware of the fine distinctions between the apparently similar words as they must be selected with care. He was the opposite of a minimalistic writer. Any sentence that could be written with ten words would never be written with three, which is the stark opposite of many modern writers. When considering his style of writing against the style of writing we now are familiar with in pop culture, We find little in common, though bringing a bigger vocabulary back into mainstream literature might not be such a terrible idea. Lovecraft was an avid reader and spoke of the strength of reading as much as possible. He stated that reading a page of a great author would provide more knowledge and style than a whole manual of technical writing rules. He admired Edgar Allan Poe going as far as calling him the god of fiction, and said that a story from Poe would impress and teach more of the powerful and correct notion of description and narrative than ten dry chapters of any bulky textbook. After History of the Necronomicon, his next novel would be the one considered to be one of the core elements of the Cthulhu mythos, namely, the Dunwich Horror. Despite his prolific and productive writing output, Lovecraft would unfortunately continue to live a generally meager life, not being able to provide more than a basic living for himself from his stories. He lived sparingly and subsisted on his inheritance for the rest of his life. As stated earlier, he wouldn't be present to witness his own success, but the great success his writing has achieved is undeniable. He is considered the father of weird tales. His blending of science fiction and horror has inspired many authors, including Stephen King and Guillermo del Toro, as well as numerous movies and stories, songs and pieces of art. Even though his writing technique and vocabulary may be antiquated to some and demands a real commitment to get through, he continues to inspire many artist to this day. Allow me to leave you in the grand uncertainty of the cosmos and the unreal realities that Howard Phillips Lovecraft manifested and thus manifested into our world and reality. Personally, I would not care for immortality in the least. There is nothing better than oblivion, since in oblivion there is no wish unfulfilled. We had it before we were born, yet did not complain. Shall we whine because we know it will return? It is Elysium enough for me, at any rate. End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason the Moore Harden. We here at House of Words ask that you please consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash house of words. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Cristo M. Sanchez. Narrated and written by me, Jason Nemo Harden. And music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Cristo M. Sanchez and Jason Nemo Hardin.